idea is to help you share the gospel. I just wanted to share just a little bit on this. I learned the Roman road as a Baptist, uh, the road to the Romans, and it's good except they end it. I didn't write it down. They usually use the last one not being from Romans, the book of Romans, but they usually use Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 for by grace you are saved through faith and that, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But I ended that, and you could write that down, and you should. That's good. But I ended, number one, witnessing tool called the Romans Road. I ended that with uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Because you're telling people that because of Christ, they will become a new creature. The good point to make, I think, or because most new Christians are real giddy for about three months and then they get disappointed because they see their failures, because they don't change fast enough. And it's a good point to make that he's a new creature, but remember this, old things pass away, which denotes a time period, okay? And behold, all things become new, which also denotes a time period. Now, if you're 30 years in God and you're still like you were when you were saved, you need to go back and revisit your salvation and make sure you really got convicted and got saved. So that's one. Now, that you would normally share with someone where you've really got someone's audience. It's not what you do on the fly. It's not what you might do five minutes at Walmart. Or I don't know why we use Walmart. I guess we all love Walmart. Or Macy's or any or Nordstrom. I like Nordstrom. Or any other place. I liked it when they used to give out thank you cards when you bought something. They don't do that anymore. But um, anyway, it's more for when you're actually going through the gospel through someone who's really interested in wanting to listen. Now, number two, witnessing. Uh, and I made a note here that that is uh, useful for someone who are ready for deeper truths. Uh, sometimes you only plant a seed, sometimes you water. With We were taught as Baptists to go for the whole enchilada, the Roman road, and get them to say the sinner's prayer. And I found in my walk that that didn't often work well. It might work a little bit they received, and then they would block you. Don't think it's for naught if people block you. If you get something out about Jesus or your love for him, it has effect, it is eternal, God's words that come out of you from the Holy Spirit are full of life. And he said, my words are life, spirit and life. And even your presence carries the presence of Jesus upon you if you're not walking in willful sin. I always have these little codicils I add to the end, don't I? But anyway... Witnessing tool number two, the easiest one we know, is John 3.16, and almost the entire uh, country of the United States, anyone I've ever met, can practically quote it. It's quoted, of course, especially at Christmas, year-round, very commonly used, and really it does contain within it the entire truth of the gospel. But when you're doing this, don't throw it around like you're flinging out tennis balls to people and hoping they catch it. Be sincere. If you're going to say anything about Jesus, be sincere. Even if you say to someone that's down and out, let me give you just, I'm just going to give a few examples. You're down and out. You see someone depressed. You know, I'm sorry. I, don't, I, I hope I don't offend you, but you seem like you're very down today. And I just want you to know something. I'm going to pray for you today. And I'm going to believe there's a change in your life. 
And God changed my life, and I believe he can change yours. But I just want you to know that he really does love you. It's not just a, a saying. It's true. Now, that's me being me. You be you. But one thing's for sure. You can always give your testimony. You can say, you know what? I, I just want you to know something. I, I was, Jesus took my life and turned it around. I had a life where I just lived for myself in sin and drugs and, and not serving God at all, and he turned my life around, and now I have eternal life, and I'm happy. Or, or, or I have peace, because you may not be happy. Might, you might be having tribulation, but you have peace. So you can share your own testimony. Always, No one can argue with your testimony. Your testimony, you own it, you lived it. No one can tell you it's wrong, because it's yours. So that's uh, that, and that in the book of Acts is the most common way of witnessing that was done. And in Paul's life, it was his primary way he would begin to share his experience on the road to Damascus. So he used his testimony as a springboard to go deeper into talking about God, Jesus Christ, and if he was talking to Jews, he would go into their language of the scripture says this and this is him and if it was Gentile or Romans then he would go into salvation through Christ because he died for our sins and he would approach them a little differently but he started with his own testimony so Acts 1 8 I just read that we were were here their first commission that was given them was to wait right which was given them actually in Mark 16 he told them to, uh, uh, to tarry until they received, they were going to receive something in the future. And then in Acts chapter 1, he told them to tarry and wait until they received power from on high. And they did wait. But out of 500, only 120 showed up. Can I get an amen on who stays fervent in God? So as it was then and as it's been since the book of Genesis, there's generally a remnant that really follows hard after God. But that's okay. You're here tonight, and I consider you a remnant by the fact that you're here. And that's special. So I'm, I would like to uh, get to Paul's arrest record. The, the interesting thing is, <clears throat> according to Roman law and even Hebrew law, he was never guilty of what they were saying about him. He was not guilty of anything that even the Jews accused him of according to their law. He did not defile the temple. He did not bring a Greek in that was uncircumcised. Many things they accused him of, he did not do. And according to Roman law, he was guilty of nothing. He actually, the imprisonment we're going to look at tonight, his first time he was arrested, was actually in order to save his life from the mob that was trying to kill him in Herod's temple courtyard. So, uh, this is, uh, in, we're going to start in uh, Acts chapter 20, if you'll go there. I'm going to read a couple scriptures. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it would take too long, but I want to set up the incident before Paul was arrested. Now, Paul was arrested and kept two years under Governor Felix without ever going to trial, and Felix called him in from time to time for the purpose of hoping to get a bribe and because he liked to hear him talk. Then he was, he was put out of office and Festus came in 
And Festus, the governor, then kept him. Uh, he was with him for another two years. But during that time, he got to see King Agrippa, who came to congratulate Festus on his new position. So there's four years that he was imprisoned. Then he ends up in Rome, which was his destiny. Though people said, oh, Paul, please don't go. Rome was his, uh, was his destiny. He appealed to Caesar. Otherwise, Festus offered, basically, to take him, have a trial, and let him out. And he said, no, I appeal to Caesar. Why? Because God had told him, I'm preaching without reading the Bible, it's okay. Because God had told him that he had to go to Rome. Therefore, though he could have gotten out of imprisonment, he chose to appeal to Caesar, and Festus uh, had a long talk with Agrippa. Now, I'm not going into that tonight. That's why I'm telling you now, and you can read this. If you follow the next five chapters in here, you can see all of this. Because he didn't know what kind of letter of introduction or letter of what I'm sending Paul for to give uh, to, to those, to Augustus in Rome, he did not know what to write in the letter because the man was innocent. So how could he send him as a prisoner? So he tried to get advice from Agrippa, who was a king of his particular territory. So anyway, that is sort of a synoptic little overview. But what I want to get to is the heart of Paul and why he did not try to get out of being imprisoned or jailed. And I have to wait for Rachel to come back anyway before we can watch the movie. We'll watch a little bit of the movie if we can get it up and running. Don't worry, Rachel, we don't need it yet. But because I'm going to set it up right now. Now, Paul has made three missionary journeys. He's gone over to Asia. He's gone over to Greek. Greece. He's gone up there and come back a couple of times, and this is at the end of his third journey. And we're in Acts chapter 20 um, at verse uh, 22, and he's talking to the elders and people at Ephesus whom he loved very much. He taught there day and night for over two years, and he was very close to them. But he had heard something from the Lord. And he said, uh, he gives them a little background of his life and what he did and how he preached in Asia, etc. And go down to verse uh, 21 as he finishes up his speech to the Ephesians uh, that he was speaking to. He said, testifying both to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save or accept that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. That means that every place he goes, the Holy Spirit tells him, that afflictions and being in bondage are what await you. Verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And this is the thing that really hit them hard. He says this in verse 25. And now behold, I know that you all 
among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, all of you have preached to, shall see my face no more. So he's telling them, I know that where my destiny leads me, I will never be back at Ephesus. And it was true. He wasn't. Because the Lord told him. Now, it was also prophesied to him a little bit later in chapter 21. But this is the reason why in chapter 20, verses 36 through 38, when he spoke and said that he was going to be going, when they were on the beach and they were ready to let Paul go, it says that, verse 36, And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they wept sore, because he said, You won't see me again. And fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more, and they accompany him to the ship. Then he goes through a couple of cities, and he goes through Cyprus, and then he goes and he ends up um, in Caesarea and, um, and goes to Philip's, the, Philip the Evangelist's house, where his daughters who prophesy are at, that, that, um, and he was one of the seven that were first chosen, you remember, as being deacons. But then he became Philip the Evangelist. And he had uh, daughters that prophesied. And Paul, it says in verse 10 of chapter 21, I, are you tracking with me okay in this? Okay, I'm just leading up to the, I'm, I'm using this to show you Paul's attitude before he gets arrested, because Paul knows he's going to be arrested. Okay? As we tarried, verse 10, there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he came unto us, he took Paul's girdle, and he bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem. Now, right now he's in Caesarea, which is up north from there. And, he say, and they say to him, that he's prophesying to him, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him to the bands or hands of the Gentiles, which means the Romans, because they had authority. And when we heard these things, both we and all the place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Don't go, Paul. You're going to be put in bondage. Well, he also had an offering for the poor that was desperately needed that he was also carrying to Jerusalem as well. And this is what Paul said in verse 13 of chapter 21. Then Paul answered, What mean you to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. Now, he's going to Jerusalem. So now, he arrives at Jerusalem, but there's a problem here. And I'm going to tell you now, before we watch the film, what causes the mob to attack him. Okay? There's gossip. Oh, my goodness, even in the early church, imagine that. It wasn't in the church, though. It was amongst the, the, um, the Jews that were not yet converted. And they had been saying, and all, we can read it in verse 21 of chapter 21, what they were saying, and it's something Paul wanted to clear up because it wasn't true. They said, 
And they are informed of thee that thou teachest that the Jews which are amongst the Gentiles forsake Moses, saying they ought not circumcise their children, neither walk after the customs. Meaning when Jews get saved, he's saying they don't have to circumcise their children and they don't have to walk after any of our customs. Well, that wasn't true and Paul never taught that. But that was circulating. And so because it was a problem, he decided, along with some advice of some uh, friends there in Jerusalem, that he would take a vow of purity and that he would go to the temple and show forth through the vow of purity that he was pure before God and that none of this was true and that he was keeping... um, Uh, the, uh, the actions of a good Jew, even a saved good Jew, that he was still keeping the proper behavior. So that's why he went there when he went to Herod's temple. Now, he goes there, and he had four men that were going with him that he paid to have them shave their heads. Then they go through a purification for a week, and then they shave their heads again, and then they all go to the temple, and they show forth that it was a vow of keeping purity before God. And it was something that all good Jews would recognize. And so this is the situation before the mob attacks him. Now, I want to show you a picture of where he was, because in the film, if we get the film up and running, you won't be able to see it. Could you pass those around, honey? Um, Okay, we have to get to a certain point in it. Uh, We have to get all the way to 220 in it, so it's going to take some time. And if you could pass that to people. You notice that in here, this is Herod's second temple, that you have the temple, but then around it you have the big uh, courtyard. And this is where Paul went in. But look to the right there that I circled, that there is the the, sort of like a parapet, but it's a little Roman fortress that's up high so that they can see everything happening around the temple. And the guards had to be able to see there. And it's a good thing for Paul that they did. And it's called Antonio's Fortress. And from though you see those four pillars, from one of those there were steps that led down into the courtyard, which is where they rescued Paul before the mob was able to kill him. So I just wanted you to get sort of a, a bird's eye view of what it looked like him being in that big old arena and them beating him and then the centurion up that was on watch seeing it and getting him and his men to come down and rescue him. Okay? So that's the background and that's the setup. Okay, so um, here's Paul in the Times Square. Now we need to, can you go forward right there? That is at 2... 16, go a little bit further, 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 and go a little bit further. Oh, I'm sorry, go back a little bit. Go to, go stop. Go one, a little bit forward. A little bit forward. A little bit forward. I'm sorry, a little bit forward. I was looking at the wrong numbers. A little bit forward. To the right, to the right, to the right, to this way. Two point. I know she can't see him, you guys. That's why it's a little challenging. But I think you'll enjoy this. Um, We're going to 
2.25. We're at 20, 2.20. We need to go to keep going more. Go another quarter inch. Go a little more, 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 more. Otherwise, you guys are going to hear stuff you don't need to hear. More, more, more. Stop. We're going to go ahead and um, this is where he's saying goodbye. Can we, do we have sound? The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. We'll just watch from here, okay? When they heard Move this, up. they praised so you God. Can see. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men join in their purification rites and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. <gasps> oh. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the riders saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. 
Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, away with him! As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, uh, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt? When he said, you speak Greek, that's all I want to say. And led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago. Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, 
receive your sight. <laughs> and at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up. <laughs> be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him! He is not fit to live! As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am. He answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen. Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him... Would you guys like to watch more? Um, the, the next day, this is the, um, the religious Sanhedrin talking about what they said he did wrong, but it wasn't really a trial, and, and, and he was kept... Um, by the commander, by the Romans, and then later they heard that there was, uh, there, uh, Paul's nephew heard, you know this story probably, Paul's nephew heard that there were men that took a vow that they wouldn't eat until they killed Paul. 
and uh, the um, captain of the band, Claudius Lysias, that man that was just saying, I paid for my Roman citizenship. He, uh, he cared for Paul, and he heard about it, and he took him and had him get escape, had him escape, took him away in an escape fashion at 9 o'clock at night with 200 soldiers out of Jerusalem so that he could save his life. So, but the thing that I love about this is Paul, after being beaten, that's, that's, I think that's all we need in the movie, but Paul, after being beaten, and you see him standing there with those heavy chains on, and he's like half dead, and he's smiling. Let me tell you something. I want to tell you my testimony. I'm going to tell you why this all happened. And um, just the wonderful attitude. Now, I want to give you uh, a little outline of the people whom Paul got to speak to because of his imprisonment. And this is um, a little outline. And then really this is all I have, unless you want to, you can watch that movie at home too. It's really very good, even though I believe that's NIV, not my favorite, of course you all know. But um, his first arrest began in 1957 when Paul gets arrested in the temple. 57 A.D. That was really a real faux pas, wasn't it? But we need comic relief, so that's good. Um, But didn't that bless you to see him testifying when he could barely stand up? Is that precious or what? It just just makes me want to weep and say, how could I ever complain? So anyway, because our life is not our own. Our life belongs to God, and we've been bought and paid for. Our reward and our good life is in heaven. We might have some blessings here, of course, yes. But our good life is the eternal life and the rewards that we have in heaven. And part of this new, the younger church has forgotten this. I think much of the church has forgotten this. So he's attacked by the mob in chapter 21. Note, he gave his testimony when the mob attacked him. Now that was common people and the Sanhedrin people. And then he speaks when we stop the, the, the video. The very next morning after that, he speaks again to the religious leaders. And he gives his testimony. Then that's in 57. And then through 57 through 59, Lysias tries to get him in front of Felix the governor. He goes before Felix the governor, and guess what he does? He gives his testimony and tells his testimony over and over and over again because this man was very corrupt and he was expecting to get a bribe that Paul would try to bribe him to get out of prison, but he liked talking to him. And so he kept having him come back and forth, and that was two years. Then his time turned over, 
And then in 59, 1959, two years later, after two years of false imprisonment, he goes before Festus, the governor, who took Felix's place. And Festus, the new governor, listens to Paul, knows there's no legal right for his arrest, and would like to try him and release him. But Paul appealed to Caesar Augustus. That, so that means he had, as a Roman citizen, a right to go to Rome to be judged. Otherwise, he could have just got off, and that would have been the it, the it, the end of it. And he also, of course, to Festus, gave his testimony. <clears throat> After Festus, in 59, became governor, Agrippa and his sister, um, Bernanese, who it was said they had an incestuous relationship, in fact, the whole Herodian family. He was Agrippa II, actually the last in the Herodian family. They were all full of wickedness, incest, and all kinds of ugliness. But anyway, they came to visit him to congratulate him. And during that time, they said, we want to hear Paul. I would recommend that you listen to that because that is in... Acts 25, and I had a hard time choosing between that and the mob tonight on his speech because it's at, that's when Agrippa says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. And he was a king. He's standing in front of a king. So he goes from going around all over preaching in all these provinces in his journeys. Then he gets arrested, but then he talks to the mob. Then he talks to religious leaders. Then he talks to a governor. Then he talks to another governor. Then he talks to a king. And then he gets to go all the way to Rome. And he's another two years. Uh, Agrippa was the grandson of Herod the Great that killed all the babies. Then in, 19, in uh, 60... A.D., hello, 60 A.D., it's in chapter 28, he finally arrives in Rome. In Rome, his destiny was met. That is where God told him he was to go. And Paul gives his testimony in Rome over and over and over again. He preaches for two years in his own house they let him have and rent, from year 61 to 62 for another two years. And I'm staying with the book of Acts, and I will, you want me to tell you what happens beyond book of Acts to Paul? Because he has those two good years. During those two years of imprisonment, he writes four epistles, Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians, while imprisonment in Rome. Um, after that, he's released, and that's the end of the book of Acts. After that, he has four years of missionary journey work again, and then Nero rises to power. He's already rising to power as he's doing his missionary work. But in 66, he imprisons Paul again and martyrs him in 66 A.D. So we see that Paul got to speak to the highest in the land and give his testimony because he let his test and his trial become the opportunity for his testimony for Jesus Christ. Is that not a wonderful thing? So that's what I leave you with in all the teaching of the book of Acts. I've skipped 
all tons of things that are in there. But in trying to make important points, I think the most important last point to make is they understood that their lives were about testifying for Jesus Christ and that sometimes it's in your worst moments that you get your best testimony. Amen.